We are in, uh, if, you, if you're a guest with us, we just go right through the scriptures. I mean, you happen to have joined us when we are in the book of James. And today uh, we're just doing three verses. We usually take a bigger section, but there's so much in this first chapter of James. I think we've already had four sermons in James in this first chapter. And we've got two more to go, this one and next week. This is James 1, 19 to 21. And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this to you, James chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So James has shown us in verses 14 and 15 of this chapter that within every person, there are ungodly desires that result in sin and sin ends in death. But then in verse 16 to 19, he tells us not to be deceived by those desires because God has good gifts for us. His word brings about new life in us, resulting in us becoming the first fruits of his creation. We're dedicated to God for his glory. He's been laying out what the, the life of the new believer should look like. And first, we must face the trials of life with joy and perseverance, knowing that God is using those trials that he allows to come into our life for our good and to help us learn to persevere. And secondly, we should resist temptation. And in wisdom, we should prefer the good gifts of God to satisfy our souls rather than what the world offers us as pleasure. The greatest, of course, of those good and perfect gifts is our Lord and Savior, Jesus, whom God gave to the world. Now he's come to the third result of new life, dealing properly with anger. This new nature in which we are born into through Christ is to prevail over the old nature and its desires. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Know this, he says. Now, the original language might better be translated, keep this in mind. Something you, we need to remember. It's, a, it's an imperative command. He's telling us something we should, that should continually guide us guide our behavior in this world. In other words, take what he's about to say very seriously. It's addressed to beloved brothers. The word, um, if you have a uh, modern translation, a lot of times it'll have a little comment, a little note beside it saying this means brothers and sisters. Adelphoi, the Greek word Adelphoi, literally means from the same womb. What womb did we come from as believers? It's the church. We saw in the second message on James that the 12 tribes is a way that the early church saw all who were in Christ, both Jews 
and Gentiles, Jews completed in Christ and Gentile believers, grafted into that same Jewish Messiah, the same root of, of God's people throughout time. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. The womb we were born from is the church. The Holy Spirit, like in the beginning, hovers over the waters. The waters are symbolic of the people. The Holy Spirit hovers over the church. We share the word of God, that seed that, in, that uh, brings forth fruit, and God prepares hearts, and there's new life, and we have new members of the body of Christ. We share how Jesus died for our sins so that we can be right with God. And then we nourish those new believers, Peter says, with the sincere milk of the word. And that's true of every believer, male or female. That makes us a family with the same father. James wants us to remember what he's about to tell us because of that familial love that he has for the body. He desires that we all be more like our Savior. And I think that's what all of us long for. If you're in Christ, that's what you long for, amen? To be more like our Savior. And first he says, we all need to be quick to hear. In verse 21, he tells us that what we need to be quick to hear is the word of God. Why do people struggle with listening? Have you ever noticed that? You're with somebody and there's a moment of silence And you feel, you got to say something because silence is uncomfortable. I, I think it's because we struggle with listening. And maybe it's a little bit about our self-centeredness or being uncomfortable with that silence. We have this, in our old nature, a lack of love for one another. Our default mode is to put self first. But that's the opposite of what Christian life should be. We're to love one another and put others first. Hear what Peter exhorted the believers to do. He said in 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That would result in us being genuinely interested in what others are saying, especially if they're sharing the word of God. God gave us two ears and one mouth, and we probably ought to use them in that proportion. Trapp writes, But hath not nature taught us the same that the apostle here doth, by giving us two ears and those open, but one tongue, and that hedged in with teeth and lips. When I meet someone who won't stop talking, you know what I'm talking about, you just can't get a word in edgewise, I know something's wrong in their soul. They're not interested in two-way communication. They're sometimes even afraid that you will speak, so they just fill up every second with words. Sometimes it's a sign of a huge ego. Sometimes it's a sign of insecurity. But if we listen, we can discern what their need is. 
if we're attuned to the Holy Spirit, he'll give us the right word at the right time and give us an opening to put just a few words in that might touch their heart. Consider Jesus' response to people in the Gospels. Have you ever noticed when Jesus asks a question, it's, it's very rarely, or people ask Jesus a question, it's very rarely that he responds in a way that we would. Uh, I, I think of the apostles just shortly before Jesus is arrested. He, they say, the Greeks are seeking you, Jesus. Oh boy, it's not just Jews. The Gentiles are seeking me too. No, Jesus says, now the hour has come. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Huh? But when you think about it, Jesus was realizing to bring the whole world in, he had to die for the sins of mankind. Sometimes Jesus would answer questions with a question. Good master, what must I do to be saved? Why do you call me good? Sometimes his answers just take off in a whole different direction that you wouldn't expect. Did you know that the Bible says is a great way to respond to people? Jesus would say, have you never read in scripture? Well, we can respond to people's questions with, did you know that the Bible says? And then drop in the seed of the word of God. Listening is an art that seems to be disappearing in our culture. You know, differing viewpoints end up just yelling at each other, talking over one another. James is telling us to be quick to listen before we speak. We should be listening to the person who is speaking, but also to the word and to the Holy Spirit that we might know how to respond. We listen to what others are saying out of concern and respect. We listen to our brothers and sisters in Christ because as the Apostle Paul told us, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Those who listen well are humble. It's pride that keeps us from hearing what others are saying and trying to understand them. Then we see if what they said aligns with God's word. Listening with our heart when the word is proclaimed, is essential to our growth in Christ. And then James goes on to say, be slow to speak. Quick to listen, be slow to speak. Consider what you're about to say. Is it edifying? Is it contentious? Does it need to be said? Is it self-exalting? If it's defensive, does it? do you really need to say it? Check with the Holy Spirit for approval and inspiration. And you'll find that he, he'll often give you an appropriate verse to share. But again, we need to be hearers of the word so that we have those verses in our hearts and minds that the Spirit can bring them forth. And if he doesn't, it's probably not the right time and the word would not be received. We don't need to fill every silent moment with words. Rarely do I see people comfortable with just being together in silence. Our world is so fast-paced that it's rare to see two people just sitting quietly together, enjoying one another's presence. 
In 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul tells Timothy to avoid irreverent babble. And that means profane talk, which we often hear in our culture. And the word for babble in Greek is a compound word, meaning empty and talk, empty talk. Words carry such potential that we should use them wisely and with loving and sincere intent that comes from love for one another and the value that we see in every soul. And then he says, be slow to anger. These are like just little quick bullet points, right? Quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. If we listen well and we choose our words wisely, we'll find we have fewer reasons to be angry. You know, a lot of anger is stirred up because of misunderstanding. We all experience anger at times. It's a normal, common human emotion. We men especially have issues with anger. And I like it, liken it to those little warning lights on your car. Something goes wrong and a little red light comes on that you're not used to seeing. It's telling you something is wrong and you need to pull over before something worse happens. In other words, when anger flares up, stop and ask yourself why you are angry. Has someone stepped on your pride? Count it a blessing. I heard someone respond to an insult by saying, yes, I'm that bad and much worse. But thank God Jesus paid my sin debt and he's helping me change. Hey, you get to throw the gospel in there. Be humble, uh, not confrontational, and share the gospel at the same time. Imagine how disarming that would be to respond to an insult like that. We often think of humility as weak nature when it's great strength in the Lord. When insulted, instead of thinking of a comeback that would raise the insult level, we could respond jovially by saying, ouch, that hurt my ego. Thank you for that. God must be humbling me for my good. Just think how that could be a testimony to a person insulting you and soften their attitude at the same time. It may even open the door for a cordial conversation. Do you remember when King David was fleeing the city and uh, his son Absalom was uh, overthrowing him and trying to overthrow him and place himself as king. And as he was fleeing the city, there was a man, a Benjamite, because Saul, the previous king, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was, this man Shimei was on the hill and he was cursing David as David fled the city. And one of David's warriors said, let me go take his head off his shoulders. But the king said, if he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for the cursing today. It was a humble response with complete trust in God to discipline or restore him. Those were the words of a man after God's own heart. Long ago, I learned a valuable lesson when, uh, when I was in business. 
I was insulted by a customer because of a store policy and um, calling me names and saying how things should be different and what was wrong with me. And after he left, the next customer told me not to take what the man said personally. He said the man wasn't angry with me. He was angry with his own life and that things weren't going his way. And that really helped me see verbal attacks in a different light. Not thinking about myself, but about that person. It's rarely about us. That's why we shouldn't take it personally and respond in kind, not to mention that it's not Christ-like. I think we have the most opportunities to become angry when we're driving. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> Am I right? We're cut off in traffic or in, endangered by a reckless driver and our blood begins to boil. That driver, and then they pull in front of us and slow way down. <laughs> you know what? That driver does not have a clue that you're angry. And your anger isn't going to bother him one bit. So what can you do instead is pray for him. And not that he'll get into an accident. Pray that he'll learn to consider others by sowing goodness and kindness into their lives. Pray that his heart might be changed before he harms someone. What a difference in our own spirit when we do that instead of nursing anger and murmuring. I still remember an incident in when I lived in Japan. I was riding in a car with my mentor who was British, uh, quite a bit older than me. That was about 40 years ago. His name was Dennis Turner. And when someone passed us in a dangerous spot and sped off, he giggled. And he said that the man's wife probably called him and said she had a, his favorite meal for him and she had planned a romantic evening. I thought, I thought, man, that's a different way of seeing things, of seeing offenses. He was thinking of the best possible scenario instead of the worst. And is that not better for our own emotional state? The Apostle Paul said, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. How much more then should we turn from anger to grace when something as little as a, a rude driver stirs us to anger? When we feed on anger and bitterness, the feast is us. And the next verse tells us why. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man's anger and righteous anger, however, are two very different things. Our anger over our hurt ego or over a series of unexpected problems does not produce the righteousness of God. God's anger is over man's rebellion against his goodness and his grace the result of being hard-hearted. He's also angered over the abuse of the powerful oppressing the weaker than themselves. If you saw the sound of freedom and you were angry, that's righteous anger. When we left, when we let anger go unchecked, it often ends up sinning with our mouths or worse. We say things we shouldn't say. 
and even if we take them back, the scars remain. We hurt others because we are hurt. Hurting people hurt people. And we need to remember that so that we can have compassion when people wound us. Our example is always Jesus. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted at the point of shedding blood. If he could forgive those who mocked and crucified him, surely we can let go of the anger that we have and forgive those who insult or wrong us. Unrelenting anger towards someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. You're only harming yourself. Realizing their eternal destiny, if there's no change, should have us pleading with God for their salvation. That's the righteous thing to do. That means you're sharing the heart of God for them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned us about the danger of giving way to anger, Matthew 5:22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus obviously saw words as something powerful, and potentially evil when used against another. And he'll judge us by our own words. If we condemn people over something that we are guilty of, we're asking God to be as harsh with us. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Because anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God, we're to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. These three verses that we are looking at are all connected. James is implying that when we yield to anger, we're giving in to filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, anger left unchecked tarnishes our moral condition. Rampant wickedness is maybe more directly translated superabundance of malice. Think of all the crimes and the brutality and the broken hearts that have come from unbridled anger. Anger is a self-fueling fire that can only be quenched by the Spirit of God. I like to visualize what I need to do when anger is stirred up in me. I try to immediately see myself standing before Jesus, receiving his, his embrace, and look at those eyes of fire and learn why I am angry. And then I let him turn me around and let my emotions be what I understand his to be for that person, his compassion for them, his desire to see them saved. In other words, to have God's heart for them. Jesus said, us who are in Christ, free from the enslavement of sin. We don't have to cling to anger. 
He can set us free each time anger raises its head so that it doesn't end up in rampant wickedness. We can use anger as a reminder to turn immediately to the Lord and examine our own heart. One of my go-to verses for anger is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. These verses tell us several things. We can be angry and not sin. That warning light is there for our good. It's a check your heart light. If we continue in the flesh, then we will sin. And that's a breakdown of our spiritual life. So we must stop and evaluate why we feel that way in the presence of the Lord in prayer. It also indicates that it may take some time to deal with that anger but not too much. We need to forgive and let go before we retire for the night. You want a good night's sleep? Forgive and let go of it first. If you don't, then you're giving the devil an opportunity. And that word in Greek can be translated a foothold. You're giving him a little beachhead from which to attack you. And none of us wants that. What a severe warning. It's as severe as relating it to filthiness and rampant wickedness. It could be even more serious. I struggled for years with anger because I grew up around it as an example of how to deal with stress. And once I realized that was the source, I got serious in prayer about asking help to break the pattern. And it took years and even now it tries to reemerge, but by the grace of God, its power is broken. That doesn't mean it doesn't try to return, but by the grace of God and the help of the Spirit, He helps me resist it. The next part of the verse tells us how that's possible. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. These are two imperative commands. Put away is a negative command and receive is a positive command. We must put away the results of anger. Refuse to let it get to that point. And we must humbly receive the word of God and graft it into us for the salvation of our souls. God's word was not native to our hearts, but it's been implanted in us. Our part, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is to put away one and receive the other. It's as if James was saying that you can't hold on to anger and then at the same time receive the implanted word that saves us. The first thing then is receive. The word receive is a very instructive gospel word. It's the door through which God's grace enters us. We're not saved by working but by receiving, not by what we give to God, but by what God gives to us, and we receive from him. Those are the words of Charles Spurgeon. We're born again by the living and enduring word of God. We must let that word reign in our hearts so that it transforms our actions. Now, we may still struggle, but when we receive the word, the word has the power to keep us from letting anger take over our thought life. 
which then changes our actions and our words. It's all a work of God, but we must be willing to receive. Sometimes we need to pray that God would help us be willing to receive to what he's doing in us first. The flesh will always resist if we let it, but the spirit will help us receive that help. When our soul is saved, we not only have eternal life in the future, but that life is manifest in us right now. The spiritually dead people are those who let anger result in filthiness and rampant wickedness without remorse. They have no power to resist it, nor do they want to resist it. Those with the life of Christ can refuse to let anger be manifest in those ways. Only those whose souls are saved by the power of the implanted word are truly able to resist anger and walk in righteousness and love for those who wound us. Now, some of us are going to have a harder time with this than others. Maybe it's the personality that you were grow, grew up with, your temperament, your background, drugs, other experiences in your life. And we need to be patient with our brothers and sisters who have that difficulty. Encourage those who are weak in that area. If they're in Christ, that weakness grieves them. They grieve over the struggle they have with anger. And we need to pray for them and with them and encourage them. If anger is directed toward you, remember that a soft answer turns away wrath. Let the love of Christ prevail by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. His new life in us, in us who have been born again, is our victory. Our love for him is going to have us draw near to him and to his power to overcome those weaknesses. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction. <laughs>